Well, welcome back to the Mill Church. If you have a prayer request, I want to encourage you to write that down on a welcome card in the chair back in front of you. We'd love to pray on your behalf. Our staff does that every week. And so um, please do that. Please write it down. We receive them via email. Uh, sometimes we'll pray in staff meeting together for those needs. So we'd love to, to pray for you. Um, how many of you, just out of curiosity, have the San Francisco 49ers winning tonight's Super Bowl? Anybody here? Scott? Okay. Stacy? All right. Adam? Myself? Myself? I think San Francisco may win by more than a touchdown, which is against the odds. How many of you say the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win this game? Is this because, like, we're Midwestern folks and we just hate everything from California? Is that, is that what this is? Because the nation is relatively divided on this pick, and you all are not, you bunch of stoic Midwesterners. You want, you want the grassroots folks to win tonight, right? So we'll see. Yeah, okay, who doesn't care? Okay, is that you, Lenny? All right, and that would be the majority. Okay, continuing on. Uh, how many of you are parents of teenagers? Whoa, lots in here. Wow, that's, uh, I'm not sure if that's encouraging or discouraging. Uh, we have lots of parents of teenagers. You know how they communicate, right? Millennials, Gen Zers, uh, they have a very special language, don't they? Especially when they're texting. They have that emoji thing uh, happening. They have uh, these acronyms. Um, I'm going to give you a crash course if you're unaware on the special language of teen texting. Uh, we'll start with the basics. LOL, what does that mean? Does anybody know? Laughing out loud. So if somebody sends you a text back and says LOL, that means they're laughing out loud at whatever you just said. It does not mean lots of love. Okay, true story, uh, a naive mom who didn't quite get it uh, sent her kid a, a text saying, your grandmother just died, LOL. <laughs> Actually happened. Does not mean lots of love, okay? It means laughing out loud. What about I-D-E-K? I-D-E-K. I don't even know. I don't even know. That's right. What about B-A-E? B-A-E, commonly known as bae. Uh, this means someone's boyfriend, someone's girlfriend, so short for baby. But it means before anyone else. You're my before anyone else. Okay? You're, you're bae. All right? Uh, what about a dime? When we say somebody's a dime, that means they're what on a scale of 1 to 10? means they're a 10, okay? What about taupe? Anybody heard that one? That one's probably more in the southeast. Taupe? Somebody's taupe, T-O-P-E? It's like a mix between totally and dope. They're totally dope. So if, if, if you know of anyone that's dope, I hope this sermon today is, is taupe, okay? <laughs> totally dope. What about SMH? Shaking my head. So if, if, a, if a teenager primarily wants to express, oh my goodness, SMH, okay? What about I-C-Y-M-I? In case you missed it, you clearly have a teenager, Lenny. In case you missed it, very good. What about I-M-H-O? 
I-M-H-O. In my close, in my humble opinion. In my humble opinion. So someone will touch I-M-H-O and then they'll say something. The parenting version of that, in case you're wondering, is I-M-H-B-A-O, which means in my humble but accurate opinion. Okay, that's... <laughs> That's how uh, parents should use uh, that acronym. Um, and the next one floated in between our office staff members a couple years back, P-E-B-K-A-C. P-E-B-K-A-C. Anybody know that one? Problem exists between keyboard and chair. Okay? Problem exists between keyboard and chair, meaning uh, you're the problem, buddy. <laughs> Figure it out. It's not technical. It's you. It's operator error. So what Paul has been doing for uh, four uh, chapters now is teaching us some insider terminology on faith. And now he's going to start showing us what a difference these things make in how we see life. Uh, so we're going to take a turn for the practical. I hope everybody appreciates that. And this morning, particularly how we see suffering uh, for four chapters. Again, he's given us the idea uh, of justification by faith alone. And if we were giving out certificates, you could get a Gospel 101. If you've thought these chapters repetitive, uh, he's going to move on now. Paul is, and he's going to show us how to interpret our pain, how to interpret our affliction in life, uh, how well we actually understood or grasped the first four chapters. Paul will tell us, will be demonstrated by the attitude that we carry when we're in pain, when we're in suffering. Martin Luther said, Justification by faith is the doctrine on which the church rises or falls. It is also the doctrine on which your spiritual life rises or falls. Whether or not you are spiritually mature goes back to your understanding of what God has done for you. Always. I told you early in the book, the gospel is like a well. If you want to dig deeper, if you want a, a, an improved well, what do you do? You don't just expand the circumference of the well basin. You have to what? You have to dig, dig deeper. And the gospel is the same. Um, you don't get a better Christian by widening the Christian's understanding or rather their knowledge base. You do get a better Christian in every way when people more deeply understand what God has done for them, okay? So how does it apply to our pain? In today's chapter, Paul's going to go from argumentation to celebration. Martin Luther called these verses the happiest verses in Romans. So you'll see the word rejoice uh, repeatedly. If you feel like you need a break from this emphasis on faith above works, then today's your day. So turn to your neighbor and say, today's your day. All right. Chapter 5, verse 1, I'll read through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified synonymous with saved, since we have been saved by faith or belief, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That word grace actually means favor, the favor in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our what? Sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for even a good person, a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified in his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Father, we pray that you'd minister to us through your word. Let it change us. Let it change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you know that it's not preaching that makes the word good? It's the word that makes preaching good. The word is what is of value. The, the, the revelation of God himself what is Paul saying to us? He's saying because we've been declared righteous by faith, we look at life and suffering differently than the world does. We have a peace. We have a peace with God. And it's not just some subject, subjective feeling that floods our hearts where we feel sublime and serene. Um, this is more than a sense of calm, what he's referring to. It's a knowledge. It's a knowledge. It's knowing something in our knower. It's a blessed assurance. Okay? It's an objective reality that we put our trust and our hope in that Jesus has in fact created by dying for us and saving us of our sins. Of course the feelings are important. I love feeling at peace. I love uh, feeling like I don't have a care in the world, which is seldom, but a place that we can arrive at in time with Jesus. I love everything about that. But what is more important is where we stand with God. And that is what the Apostle Paul is getting at. We point this out because a lot of people think that religion, the point of it, is to give you some therapeutic feeling of peace. That's why they, they go to church. And we hear non-believers saying things like this. You know, I'm glad Christianity gives you your sense of peace, but I find my sense of peace in, for example, yoga or meditation or taking long walks or eating food that's good for you or drinking bourbon or rubbing essential oils on your lymph nodes um, or and on and on and on. Um, what matters most is not, though the feeling is wonderful, 
when you feel God's presence and his peace, that we feel the peace of God. What matters most is that we are at peace with God. That's what matters. Here's another way to put it. We feel peace in God because we know that we are at peace with God. Okay? Um, not vice versa. Some, sometimes people get it reversed and they say, Pastor, I just don't feel like God loves me, therefore he mustn't love me. Um, and I, I'd say to them, why are you looking at your feelings for assurance instead of God's word? God's word declares he's madly in love with you. His word is more reliable than your feelings. So we need the word to tell us, uh, tell our feelings how to behave. Uh, Romans 5 verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Uh, again, think of the word grace as favor. Um, Paul's meaning a favored status with God. Think of how a child feels with a parent that they know loves them. I came home yesterday after being gone for two days. And while my sons could care less about my presence, my daughters adored me for in half an hour. And I just laid on the floor and played with them and chased them, and it was just, just the most awesome thing. Think of how a child feels when they know that they're loved, when they know that they're adored. J.I. Packer says you can tell how much somebody really understands Christianity by finding out how much they think about and cherish the thought of being God's child. He said it this strongly. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. If he doesn't think of him or herself as God's child. So ask yourself, how do you feel? How do you feel when you talk to God? Do you feel like he generally disapproves of you? Do you feel like you need to barter with him or negotiate with him? Um, do you feel that he's not listening to you, that his, that his ears are closed? Um, do you feel like he's apathetic or indifferent, that he he couldn't care less? Or do you come with this awareness, God, you're a tender father who loves, in spite of uh, what your daddy was to you, God, I know you're a tender father who loves me, who listens, who cares, who sent his only son. I know that to be true about you. I know that I, as your child, am at peace with you. Therefore, I have peace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Um, you may say, my dad was never like that. It's hard for me to see God that way. Um, I, I, I have not experienced that, but I understand how that could affect your perception. And, and what I just want to reassure you of is that God, our Father, is the, is the Father that you have always yearned for. The one that you've always wanted. The father of your, of your friend that you, that you were envious of, jealous of. That's closer 
still pales in comparison, but closer to who God, our Father, is. Okay? So think about this. We read about a father who says in Psalm 139 that he literally journals all of the days of, of your life in a book. We, we read of a father who says, even if you made your bed in hell, I would go there to be with you. We read of a father who knows the number of hairs on our head. We read of a father who knew us before we were even in our mother's womb. This is why we are pro-life in all life, not just life in the womb, life outside of the room. womb, life that's immigrating, life that's without a secure home, that's in need of shelter. Um, so we're told our Father rejoices over our lives, over life, with, with even singing in Zephaniah. That may be a weird thought for you, that God sings over you. He sings over us. So we have a God who runs to us even when we run away. When we turn back, he runs to meet us, and you should pray with that knowledge. Not always with that sentiment, but knowing that. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We saw in chapter 4 through the life of Abraham, uh, hope is the assurance that God's going to keep his promises. Paul explains our hope is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a hope rooted, Paul will explain in a minute, in, again, the resurrection. God is about the business, do you know this, of resurrecting people. Resurrecting marriage resurrecting friendship, resurrecting sickness, resurrecting spiritual decay, resurrecting careers, resurrecting reputations, resurrecting hope. D.A. Carson says it this way, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. God resurrects us and we need to keep that in mind because we get disappointed and we hurt other people and, and our bodies, I don't know if you're aware of this, are just getting older. They're getting older. Just last night, I started a beach body workout. We had this moment of reflection at a conference I attended and I committed to work out um, in my home. I did not last night do that great. Can I just be honest with you? Okay, we, we, we got into high knees and my knees didn't go that high. Okay, if I'm just honest, it was hard. It was hard. You know, the little gal over in the corner that's doing the modified versions, I'm with her. You know what I'm saying? Like we're together. Okay. I measured myself, if thinking about it when I was young, on how much I could bench press. I measured my physical fitness on how fast I could run a mile. I, I measured my phys physical fitness on, on the timing of a 40-yard of a dash, right? Um, on these metrics and these metrics. I don't know about you, now I get out of the shower and I look in the mirror and you know how I measure my physical fitness today? I have a stopwatch there by the sink and I just I stomp my foot and start the stopwatch and whenever the last thing stops jiggling in the, in the mirror, <laughs> I stop it again, and I'm constantly trying to improve upon that time, okay? 
So this is the way it works when, when, when we get older. Things aren't getting better. There is no fountain of youth. God does not stop the effects of aging. Sometimes God does not take the cancer away. Sometimes the marriage does not get reconciled. Sometimes the one who sins against you is not brought to justice. I remember being in Marshfield and having a gal in, in singles ministry who was in my office weeping because her dad molested her as a child. That hurt her as a near 30-something. She couldn't bring him to justice. I said, why? Why can't you? She said, because he's my daddy. I hate that about him. But I love so much about him. I cannot do this. Paul says our suffering does not mean, in spite of all that, that we are without hope. Because you're not suffering from anything that a resurrection of God cannot fix. And God used that group to come around this girl and, and she had hope again. And, and his hope makes us rejoice. Rejoicing, of course, is different than happiness. Uh, happiness is contingent upon what's happening. And so joy is different. Joy is not directly correlated with events in our lives. Jesus was, wasn't always happy. Uh, he didn't seem to bounce through his ministry happy. He would tell an occasional joke, sure. But the scriptures tell us he was acquainted with grief. He was a man with sorrows. He had no place to lay his head. He was homeless. He was broke. And yet, he was the one who said, the joy of the Lord is my what? Strength. Strength. And joy comes from knowing that what you have with God is better than what you're missing in life. Joy is knowing that what we have with God is better than what we're missing in life. Joy comes from knowing that what he's promised in his word is more secure than what we can guarantee on our own. Joy comes from knowing um, that he loves us, that he's dear to us. That's a value, verse 3. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our suffering. How is that? What is Paul, some kind of, of masochist where his physical pain, his emotional pain, his mental pain um, is, is something that he endures for pain's sake to, to show that he's tough? Absolutely not. This is rejoicing in affliction because the pain, no matter how great, is producing in him, he knows something that is of greater value than a pain-free existence. He knows it's part of his process. It's part of his journey. Christianity is not stoicism. What is the life of a stoic? It's a pain-free existence. It's detaching ourselves from relationships because it's, it's being willing to miss the joy of companionship so that we don't experience what? The pain. That is not Christianity. Christianity says we endure the pain. We endure the suffering. It's part of the process. And in it, we can find joy. Job 1, 22. Think about Job. 
lost his health, his family, his livelihood, his, his wealth in large part, rips his clothes off, shaves his head, falls to the ground screaming at God. And yet in all these things, the Bible says he sinned not. He sinned not. Um, many Christians, if they saw Job or, or somebody else, a modern-day Job, doing this today, they would say, wow, he, he really needs a faith recharge. Clearly, he's, he's in need of some help. Um, obviously, he loved the world too much. Obviously, you, you, buddy, need to let go and let God. But Job sinned not. Feel the pain of life. It's okay. Feel the rage at times against God. He can handle it. He's big enough. Romans 5 verse 3, because we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance is the ability, I didn't have a lot of it last night, is the ability to keep going when you're experiencing pain. When, when, when you are experiencing no seemingly earth benefit to your faith, you keep going. Endurance is a test. Will you keep going when things aren't working out? Is God himself, is he himself enough for you? Or do you need him to bless you with some stuff along the way? Corey Ten Boom, a Nazi concentration camp survivor, said, I never really knew that God was all I needed until he was literally all I had. Robert Smith Jr., when faith is stripped to the bone, no marrow, no tendons, no muscles, no fat, no gristle, and all our props and crutches are gone. Our faith in God that he is good and is still on the throne is the only thing that will keep you going. And what Paul is saying is suffering produces that. Suffering produces that attitude, that mindset, that reality. Luther said there's three things necessary for understanding the scriptures. Prayer, meditation, and suffering. He said this, I credit the devil, the Pope, <laughs> and all my other persecutors with my deep knowledge of the word of God. Through the devil's raging, they have turned me into a fairly good preacher, driving, driving me into the gospel to depths I never would have reached without their afflictions. Isn't it interesting that suffering in life can push people to run away from God or to draw in near to him like they never have before? It's always one of the two responses. Verse 4, endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. Proven character means character that has gone through the furnace of pain and affliction and has all the impurities burned away. Peter said it this way, I'll paraphrase, when you suffer, it's your faith that's more valuable than gold. It's being refined so that it's going to result in praise, glory, honor of God. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. 
Every other hope I want you to know apart from Jesus will disappoint you. Every single one. I've tried a few of them myself. Some of you, I know you are optimists. Optimism is the assumption that tomorrow is going to be better just because it's tomorrow. That's optimism. Even optimism can disappoint us. The sun will come out tomorrow. You ever know people that just walk through life like that? Drives me nuts. You? No. They're actually good to have as friends because they need to pick us out of our pit of despair from time to time, right? We appreciate them. Um, but we have no guarantee that the sun's going to come out tomorrow just because they say it will. Um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know that one? And that's not true. That's not always true. Sometimes what doesn't kill you really hurts you and debilitates you and impairs you and affects your relationships and in your physical body and your life. And it's hard. Um, that song that came out, I forget who sings it. Uh, great gospel singer, you're an overcomer. Remember that one? You're going to fight to the final round. Shannon was going through losing her dad when that song hit the airwaves. And I remember just there were times where she was inconsolable in the car and I would do anything to try to cheer up. And on a couple of occasions, that song come on and I would just be trying to get her to laugh and smile. And I'd look over and say, you're Shannon Comer and you're going to fight. You know, that's her maiden name. We're not always overcomers. This is a false Christian message, if that's where the message ends. Sometimes we can't overcome. And I would rather tell you that, and you still love Jesus in your suffering, than me tell you that everything's going to pan out in this life, and you reject him because of unmet expectations. He promised to be with us. That's his promise in the suffering. Not that life's going to be void of it. In the meantime, what do we do? We seek drugs and alcohol. We go shopping. We seek sexual pleasure. All of that, all of that, all of that ends badly. We become addicted. We become immoral. We are in debt up to our eyeballs. Everywhere we look to fulfill the need that we have, the cavity that's God-shaped, isn't filled by other things. It never has been. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's the next phrase. I believe it's verse 6. This is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in all of Romans. Um, he's mentioned as the installment or the deposit in our hearts. In other, in other words, a main role of the Holy Spirit in us is to remind us of God's presence. His nearness. We're receiving God, a deposit of God, one that we won't fully receive, 
a payment we won't fully receive or enjoy until we're in heaven with him, but we have the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die for. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Here's Paul's points. All of us know stories of heroes. Firemen, soldiers that die for other people, okay? A mother dies during childbirth. But as fantastic as that is, Paul's saying what God did is even better than that. God died for bad people. And a lot of them. God died for sinners. God died laying down his life for us. That's not the same as me laying down the, my life for my kids. Um, I'll never forget, uh, close with this story, being in Marshfield and being my in my office. Um, I had a friend, Daniel Tyler, who was, we were close at the time, uh, spent a lot of time hanging out. He called me he was on his way to Arkansas to spend time with his grandfather. He called me and said, I could hear his voice trembling. You'll, you'll, you'll never guess what just happened. I said, what? He said, my mom is dead. My mom is dead. His mom had moved up from Arkansas to Wisconsin. She was a medical professional. She had beat began dating a guy. They had gotten into an argument in a moment of, of disdain. He struck her. She fell. Her head hit the kitchen floor. She had a brain aneurysm and died. Just like that. And, he, and he's just halfway in between on a highway somewhere here in Arkansas when he gets this news. And he just and he just lost it. Of course. Of course he'd lose it. And it wasn't it wasn't but after a couple months of suffering that Daniel made the conscious decision that he was going to f- go and fight for this young man's innocence in a court of law. Not not necessarily so that he would have no earthly penalty, but to make sure that this, that this man understood, who could have been seen by most as Daniel's worst enemy, the guy who took the life of his mother, that that guy knew how much God loved him. That is what God did. He made his enemies friends. He died for his enemies. Um, we sing a song that says, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Do you believe this next part? My name is written on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue, no body, no tongue can bid me thence to depart from God. God loves you. God has not forgotten you. 
you will not always know what God is doing in your suffering, in your pain. I've heard it said that at any given moment, 10,000 things may be happening in your life and you're going to be aware of about three of them. You have no clue what a sovereign God is up to. But the cross and the resurrection give us assurance that he's doing something. And it is a blessed assurance. It is secure. We're confident in it. So worship them. Worship then, our adoration of God, privately at home, publicly here, is not a reflection of how we feel. It ought not to be, ever. It's a declaration of who God is, who his word declares him to be. Don't care about how you feel this morning. When you worship, care about what God is worthy of from you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this table and celebrate your body and blood broken and shed for us, I just pray, God, that we would declare your importance, your worth. We have no idea what the person sitting beside or across from us is going through this morning. And we won't until we ask, and until we ask poignantly. But I pray, Lord, that, that no matter how blue we are today, no matter how difficult a season we're in, God, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt with absolute certainty that you died for us sinners and that you love us deeply and that you are a father who cares immensely about each of your children. And for that, we worship, we glorify, we honor. In Jesus' name.